the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. The Gospel of Luke is the collection of eyewitness testimonies that speak of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Up to chapter 19, we have seen Jesus warn the people about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Many people turned away from their godless living, forsaking all to follow Jesus. He taught them about God's kingdom and what life in that kingdom would look like on earth. All people were curious about Jesus and the wonderful, miraculous things he did. A tax collector named Zacchaeus sought after Jesus, standing up in a tree to see him walking by. Jesus told Zacchaeus that he would be coming over for dinner that evening. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 19, verse 6. Well, what will Zacchaeus do here? Well, we see in verse 6. And he made haste and came down. Jesus' exact instructions were make haste and come down, and Zacchaeus did it. He made haste and he came down, and he received him, welcomed Jesus joyfully. He said he invited him into his home. He said, you are welcome to stay with me, and he did so with great joy. Now, I first read that when it says he made haste and he came down, and I think to myself, that's what I need more of. Like Jesus says, we'll do this, and I I need more of will doing this, whatever it is. That's what I need more of, less of the reasoning of why I'm not good enough or why I I can put it off till later, and more of just hurrying to obey Jesus, amen? But he welcomes him to his home. They don't go to the home yet. They're still by the tree. I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I blame it on a Sunday school coloring page somewhere, most heresies are, are because of those. Seriously. You ever, you ever see the, how is Ju- Isaac always pictured when he's going up to the altar with Abraham? Yeah, he's always this little guy. And you know, and it's a horrible story when that's the case. God says, go kill your little five-year-old. And Abraham's like, sure, God. There are people who won't come to Christ because of that. I would never follow God and ask him to do that. Well, good, you don't have to because he didn't. Isaac is a grown man, a grown, strong man. That at any point when dad goes, he says, this is looking fishy. He could have looked at his dad and go, I'm not going up there. And dad does not have the physical ability to stop him anymore. It's under school coloring pages. <laughs> Most of them are great. <laughs> but he wasn't, they didn't go to the house yet. They're still right there by the tree. And I love that Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. He, he is so excited. It means a state of happiness and well-being. Like he's, something's finally right in this man's soul. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. You're welcome at my house. And why not? Why wouldn't he feel right inside? Why wouldn't he feel like something's finally good with his soul? Because the one who knew everything about Zacchaeus actually wanted to stay with him. I don't think Zacchaeus got many of those offers from anyone else. Do you and I offer this same grace to other people? I think her name is Rosaria Butterfield. She's written a lot of literature. If you haven't read it, you should. She talks about, she's written a book on hospitality. She's written a book about 
homosexuality. She's written a book that's her testimony. She's written a book about adoption. She's a really neat lady. But before she gave her life to Christ, she was a lesbian. She was the head of the literature department at the University of Syracuse. She was a spokesman at the Democratic National Convention. She was a spokesman for the LGBT movement. There's a little Presbyterian church. I can't remember if she got invited to or she just decided to check it out on her own nearby. The, fam- the church family there just loved her. They would invite her over all the time for dinner. In fact, she was a regular guest at the pastor's house for dinner, oftentimes bringing her partner with her. The pastor there never compromised on truth. She knew exactly where he stood on what the Bible had to say about uh, her sexual sin. But they treated her with hospitality. They loved her, served her. And she says over time, it was that love that caused her to start studying the Bible. And of course, as she started studying the Bible, she knew it was not compatible with what she was doing. And so she eventually gave her life to Christ. What's fascinating is she talks about, and this is a big pull for the LGBT community, is that the community that they have, that you you don't fit anywhere else, but you fit and you belong here and we accept you and we love you no matter what you are. Well, when she made the announcement, she was, as a dean of literature, uh, head of literature department, she was responsible for welcoming, giving the lecture that would welcome all the new students, the orientation. And usually she would give a speech. And so during this year, she decided to share a testimony about how she gave her life to Christ. Well, that community rejected her immediately. Immediately. The community that's supposed to be so open and accepting of everybody rejected her immediately. The one place she says she always found community no matter what she was, sinner or saint, was the church. And that should be the case. That should be the case. This guy who didn't have a community, here he is, all of a sudden he finds one with Jesus. And I would ask you, do you offer that kind of grace to other people? Even if they've done evil or are practicing evil, or maybe if they're even taking advantage of people you know and love. I doubt anyone in Jericho had treated Zacchaeus like this. And we can see that by the reaction. Look at verse 7. When this whole thing is consummated, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus goes, okay, I'm excited about that. It says, and when they saw it, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. (laughs) They all, it's kind of like you all, means everyone. That's how infamous Zacchaeus was. Everybody starts murmuring. The word here is, for murmured is diagoguzo, but goguzo is an onomatopoeic word that refers to the, either the cooing of doves or the hum of bees. I've never heard bees go goguzo, 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 <laughs> or doves for that matter, but that's the word they chose. And it refers to when you're mumbling under your breath, your breath even, you're complaining, you're mumbling under your breath, you know, you're complaining under your breath. And it does kind of sound, I can imagine that. You know, I get, that does sound like that. And the, when you put the word dia in front of it, it intensifies the word. So they were very expressive. It wasn't just slightly under their breath. No. As Zacchaeus goes, yeah, you can come to my house. Jesus, I'd love to have you. And everybody else said, sinner. I mean, that's, that's what's going on right now. I mean, Zacchaeus hears it. Jesus hears it. And why wouldn't they? Of all the people Jesus could have stayed with, this was the worst one he could have picked. Zacchaeus had stolen from every person in town, and now his reward for that horrible life is hosting Jesus, the coolest guy in all of Israel right now? Ha! Time to post something passive-aggressive on Facebook. Be careful when getting upset because God is being good to a wicked person. 
Because it's his kindness, not his justice, that leads us to repentance. When I got saved 32 years ago, it'd be 30, it would be 32 years in about six weeks, I was in a bad spot. I fit in with anybody. I didn't think anybody could accept me. I was very aware of my shortcomings. My life was kind of spiraling. Didn't really have a whole lot of, you know, solid things around me, you know, that I could latch onto and grab onto. So I was not doing well. And I remember going to a very large church at the time. And the preacher told me that despite all that, God loved me. And that if I would repent and give my life to Christ, I could be forgiven. And I could, my, I could have a new life. I could get a fresh start. I still remember giving my life to Christ. I don't remember much else. I don't remember the prayer. I remember going, I, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I want a fresh start. I want a new life. I want a different life. And I gave my life to Christ. And he changed me. That wasn't because the pastor was wielding a flaming sword, pointing it at my chest or holding it to my neck. He didn't compromise on sin, but he told me about God's kindness, God's grace. That's what leads us to repentance. Now, even though Jesus never brings up Zacchaeus' sin, we already know Jesus' stance on what he had done. In Luke chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, when John the Baptist had some publicans, some tax collectors come to visit him, and get baptized. And they asked him, they said, well, what do we need to do? It then also came publicans to be baptized and said unto him, master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Stop stealing from people. And they did. And they became republicans. <laughs> Just kidding. Jesus preached the same sermons that John the Baptist did. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I mean, that's the same thing he preached. So, why would we think that Jesus hadn't brought this up? He'd already been clear about his thoughts. I think sometimes we struggle as Christians being kind to someone who's wicked because we somehow think we're going to enable them in their wickedness. Well, I don't want to be an enabler. It's like the two things Christians fear most. Like we fear God's judgment and like God's wrath will be poured out upon us immediately if we do one of two things. If we, if we give a poor person money and they go buy cigarettes... Like, that's the biggest fear right here. Like, Christians like, I can't, I can't give him $2 because he'll go buy cigarettes and I'll be in hell forever because of it. And then secondly, if we somehow enable somebody in their wickedness. Being gracious or kind to someone never means compromising truth or right or wrong. We don't ever do that. Conversely, standing up for truth doesn't mean being mean and nasty or unkind. Now, in Zacchaeus' case, he already knew full well he was in the wrong. It's just that prior to meeting Jesus, he didn't care. He didn't care about his life. He didn't care about what he was doing. But after he experienced Christ's love, Jesus didn't need to bring it up because Zacchaeus knew what he needed to do moving forward. So when he hears everyone murmuring, go gozoing, he turns to the crowd. He makes a powerful declaration of his repentant heart. In verse 8, it said, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. That's pretty bold, isn't it? It's a pretty big radical change. He stood, which means to stand to do something important, like make a, a formal proclamation or something like that. So he stands. He gets, he says, I need everybody's attention. And then he addresses the Lord, not the people, because he knows his sin is ultimately against God. And he says, behold, Lord. And man, in that statement alone, there's so much right there. 
the fact that he calls him Lord. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. 50% of his total worth is what that means. Talk about a radical change of life for him. 50% of his goods. By itself, that would have been a powerful testimony to his changed heart. But Zacchaeus does more. And he says, an if, which it's a bad translation, it literally means whenever or wherever I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. False accusation means to extort money by falsely accusing someone of something. And as a tax collector, Zacchaeus would have Roman soldiers at his disposal to do his job. He could say whatever he wanted to get money out of someone, and he had. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 22.1, it states that if a thief stole one sheep, he had to repay four sheep back, four times. So by Zacchaeus saying, I restore fourfold, he's admitting that he was a thief. Do you understand that? We've got confession, we've got repentance, we've got faith calling him Lord. We've got all of the pieces of salvation here, all of it. Zacchaeus doesn't skirt around his sin. He admits he's a thief to everybody there and he makes amends for it and thus obliterates any doubt to his sincerity. We talked a lot about God's grace earlier, but do you realize this is what grace does to us? Like when you experience grace, this is what it does to you. It changes us. It changes us. It doesn't leave us where we were. When I get people come to me and, and they'll say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm just not really convicted by my sin. I'll ask them, I don't, maybe, I don't know if you've really experienced grace then. Is it possible you've never really experienced grace? Because while grace is gloriously free, our gratefulness at receiving it costs us a lot because we want to give him Everything. We don't just surrender a part of our lives. When you've really experienced that grace and that forgiveness, Zacchaeus knew he was loved. He knew that he was accepted. He knew that he was forgiven. When you really experience that, you're glad to surrender everything to him. And so I ask you this morning, have you surrendered everything? Now, I've also found that I will sometimes hold on to things that God wants me to surrender to him because I don't fully understand his grace. Do you understand the amazing grace that God has given to you? That he is taking you a child of wrath and he has made you an adopted son and daughter. That he's made you a joint heir with Christ, seated in heavenly places forever with him. I mean, that he's washed away all your sin, justify you, he's sanctifying you and someday he promises to glorify you. All because of what Christ did and your faith in that. It says to them that believed on him, he gave the right to be called the sons of God, children of God. That's you if you put your faith in Christ. Amazing grace. Don't hold anything back. And it's not that that's how you get saved, by giving half, away, half your goods away. That's not the point. The point was faith, repentance, confession. Those, those are the elements of salvation where we agree with God we're a sinner, we turn from our sin, and we put our faith in Christ. And so Jesus responds and says to him, this day, right now, right now is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Jesus says this day, that has multiple meanings here. First off, it's the idea that at this moment is when he said, did this, when he turned from his sin and put his faith in Christ, that's what saved him, okay? So we can understand his salvation. But it also means there was no delay, it's not like the Lord looked down and said, 
Well, I don't know. I'm going to make you wiggle for a little bit. I'm going to make you squirm for a little bit, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus makes the proclamation. I'm a changed man. I give you my life, Lord. The Lord goes, not just yet. I don't know about you just yet. No, right now. Right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go to purgatory. You are a child of the living God. Right now. Now, people will say, well, you know, what about this thing about his house being saved? Does that mean his whole family got saved? That's not the point of this. We don't even know if Zacchaeus had a wife and kids. We have no clue if he had a family. That's not what this is saying. When Jesus said salvation has come to this house, what he's saying, this life, this life that was a wreck before, that lived off others, that thieved from others, that house was a wreck. It was in ruin spiritually. Now that house is totally different. The whole life has changed. Salvation has come to it. He's been rescued from that ruin. For as much because he also is a son of Abraham. You know, Romans chapter 10 tells us, what do we have to do to get saved? Where is it? In Romans chapter 10, verse 5, it says, you know, the righteousness that comes by the law of Moses says, you want to you be righteous through keeping the law, then you've got to do everything in it. But what does the righteousness that comes by faith say? We got to go on some pilgrimage, some walkabout, you know, some spiritual journey, you know, where we got to climb up to heaven and find God. No, you, you, can't, you can't be like Christ and, you know, go up there and find him and bring him back down. Is it down in the deep, down in the grave? Do we need to make a journey to the underworld, a pilgrimage there, and bring up Christ again from the dead to be saved? No, no, no. It's near to you. It's right here, right here. Mouth in your heart. For with the mouth, man makes confession unto salvation. With the heart, he believes. Therefore, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, then what? You'll be saved. Like that. Why? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed, right? What does it mean, ashamed? It means put to shame. When you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm turning from my sin. I believe you died for me on the cross. I give my life to you. I want to follow you. You're not going to be put to shame for that. The Lord's not going to look at you and go, no, not you. Maybe others, but not you. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile now. I'm paraphrasing a lot of Romans 10 because we're out of time. But there's neither Jew nor Gentile now. It's whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Zacchaeus, that moment, salvation has come to his house. It's interesting because just a few days earlier, Jesus had declared it was easier for something impossible to occur than for a rich person to be saved. But God specializes in doing the impossible, doesn't he? He can save you, he can save me. And so where the rich young ruler failed to receive salvation, even though he'd done a lot of good things, he'd kept a lot of the law, this thief, he does receive salvation because he repents and places his trust in God alone. And as a result, he becomes a son of Abraham, a child of Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. And Zacchaeus became a son of Abraham by his faith. See, being a descendant of Abraham has nothing to do with being Jewish. Being an Israelite does. But being a descendant of Abraham has nothing to do with being Jewish or even outwardly observing Moses' law. It's about repentance and faith. That the promise might be sure because it rests upon his faithfulness and not mine. Now, son of Abraham, I can tell you, was definitely not a title ever ascribed to Zacchaeus. Traitor, maybe, dog, maybe, all sorts of other names, I'm sure. But Jesus brings him right into God's family immediately. 
Despite Zacchaeus' clear repentance and faith, some still might wonder, but he's a wicked man. How could God forgive him? Well, it's not complicated because we're all wicked people and we all need a savior. That's why Jesus came. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The phrase that which was lost means that which has perished. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We all have died spiritually because of our sin. We've all already perished in that sense. We're lost. We can't, we're hopeless. We don't have the ability to save ourselves by being good or changing our lives. We have to come to Christ. We need a Savior. And so, Jesus, this is the first time he said this. Look at John chapter 3 with me, and we'll close with this. Jesus, speaking to Zacchaeus about salvation, he said, the verse we're all familiar with, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse we may not be as familiar with. Why did God do this? For God, not, and how much did he love us? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came but that the world through him might be saved. That's what his purpose was. So verse 18, he that believes on him is not condemned. Now we're perishing. We read here, he came in to seek and save that which is perished. We, we're dead in sins. We, that's what you're saying in the song, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost with no, without hope, done for. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand, Right? When he rose from the dead, he was raised for our justification. The Bible says it proves God accepts the sacrifice. So he that believes on him isn't condemned, but he that doesn't believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't need to do anything horrible to go to hell. You don't have to be the worst sinner in the world. You don't have to be Zacchaeus to be on the way to hell. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So we all need to be rescued. John 3.36, John gives commentary here at the end. He says, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life, like Zacchaeus experienced. But he that believes not, the Son shall not see life. Why? Because the wrath of God abides on him. It's on him now. If you don't know Christ, God's wrath is on you now. You might be walking around, but if you aren't right with the Lord, you're the walking condemned. God doesn't want that to remain the case. That's why Jesus came. He loves you. Tons. He loves you tons. And while the world may never forgive you or give you another chance, the Lord wants to wipe away all your sin and not just give you another chance, but make you a part of his family, no matter what you've done. Amen? So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today is the day to fix that. Today is the day to give your life to Christ, to repent. What does it mean? It means to change your mind to turn around, go in the right direction, leave behind your sin, and to place your faith in Christ. To stop thinking it's okay going the direction you're going now, and to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Because when you do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. Lord, we thank you so much for this great salvation. And, and Lord, we want to be those who surrender everything to you because of the great grace you've shown us, Lord. We do not deserve heaven. We don't deserve a relationship with you. We don't deserve to be called sons and daughters of Abraham. But Lord, you've done it. You've done it, Lord. And what you did on the cross for us. And Lord, made a way so that if we would receive you, we'd become your sons and your daughters. 
So Lord, to those of us today who have received you, Lord, we just surrender everything to you. Like Zacchaeus, we want to hurry down and, and, and do what you say. Whatever it may be, we want to be those who are obedient and surrendered to you, holding nothing back. Because, Lord, you've extended such great grace to us. Why would we want to hold anything back? Lord, if you, when we were your enemy, were so good to us, Lord, how much more will you be good to us as your child and you call us to obedience, you call, call us to lay down our lives for you. So, Lord, we choose to trust you with that. You know, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and you want to repent of your sins and give your life to Christ, today is the day. Tomorrow's not promised to you. An hour from now is not promised to you. But a date, an appointment with, the, with God is. So if you want to repent of your sins and receive Christ, just lift your hand up. You can be forgiven and not experience that wrath that, that you will have. If, that it is on you now if you don't know the Lord. Just lift your hand high because I'd like to pray with you as you're making that decision to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. Anybody this morning before we close? You want to just give your life to Christ? Anybody before we close? Well, Lord, you know where everyone is today and I hope everyone here knows you. And so pray that you'd encourage us, Lord, and that you would just take our lives and spend them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God has given the call of repentance to all people. Regardless of their past sins or current failures, God desires for all people everywhere to enter into a relationship with him solely based on his mercy and grace. There is nothing we can do to earn it, we simply accept it by faith and walk it out daily. It's never too late to turn to Him, no matter how far we've gone. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.